Once again, that's Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to start in verse 9 today because last week we, we talked about a new heaven and a new earth in the first eight chapters, uh, first eight verses, excuse me. And so today we're going to finish out this chapter 21, and we'll talk about a new city. So let's pray this morning and ask God to help us as we go through His Word. Give us the ability and give us the, the know-how and what we need to say and what we should say. So Father, we come to You today in Jesus' name. God, we give You thanks for Your goodness and mercy. We thank You, Lord, for this place that we're going to go. We do thank You for the jubilee that's going to happen in heaven. We thank You, Lord, for the peace in the valley. And we thank You, Lord, that You are that everlasting arm we can lean on every day of our life until this takes place. So, Father, as we go through Your Word today about a new heavenly city, we pray, God, that You just help us to expound upon Your Word and pray, the Lord, that we just not add to it or take away from it, but we read it for what it is and we'll begin to see a vision in our own mind of what the heavenly Jerusalem is like. So, Father, open our eyes and our ears and may our hearts understand what Your Word speaks to us today for this is our grand reward for being servants of the Most High God here on this earth is that one day we will come to be with you in your holy city, the heavenly Jerusalem. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Revelation 21 and verse 9 is where we'll start. And just give you just a, a slight background, something that I had thought about. And I look back through my notes, and it was back in 2020, just prior to or, or right during when the pandemic was taking, taking hold of everything, we had taught on this, this passage of Scripture. So it's been about three years now. And I, I didn't realize it had been quite that long. And I, I remembered as the Lord was showing me this, I thought, well, it seemed like we just went through this. And I got, look, got to look at, back through notes and things, and it was in 2020, so it's been quite a while. But anyway, one of the things I want us to, to be have in mind as, as we see this vision as John is seeing it. See, John's describing it as he saw it to give us a, a vision, a, an image of what he saw. He was one of the only, maybe the only apostle that had lived long enough to see Jerusalem destroyed. In 70 AD, he got to see Jerusalem and also the temple destroyed. And remember, the Jewish people of his day were very, very proud of Jerusalem, but they were even more so proud of the temple there. Remember, they asked Jesus one time, right before he was to be crucified, not long before, they took him out and said, Jesus, here, look at the grand buildings of this temple. And Jesus said, Truthfully, I say to you, not one stone is going to be left on another that won't be torn down. And you're going to all be scattered and Jerusalem will be destroyed. So John here, has he's already seen that. So in his mind, when he starts to see a new heaven and a new earth, that's great. But then now today we're going to start to see God showed him a new heavenly Jerusalem, a new holy city. And so in his mind, he's thinking, wow, this is a great thing because he'd seen the old one destroyed. So keep that in mind as we go through. It's just something for us to kind of think about a little bit. But in verses 9 and 10, <clears throat> it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven, from God. Now, we talked last week about the God had to create a new heaven and a new earth to make a place for his new city. Amen. We talk about we talked a little bit at, at the end of last week that when you go to build a house, 
or pull in a mobile home or double wide or whatever the case may be, you have to prepare the site. You know, just up the road up here, they somebody bought that field and they've been clearing it up and I can see somebody's already digging footers up there, right? And they're fixing them a place. They're going to be able to go in and out. They're getting the ground ready, getting the place ready for whatever they're going to build. Well, God made a new heaven and a new earth and now He's going to place His holy new city right there in this new earth. Isn't that amazing? So the holy city, this is the same one that's mentioned in Hebrews 12 and 22. And if you want to make a note right quick, you can read this later, but I'll read it to you just briefly. In Hebrews 12 and 22, the Bible speaks of this heavenly Jerusalem. And it's where our loved ones are at right now. It's where they've gone to be. Their spirits are there. Their bodies aren't there yet because there's not been a resurrection yet. And one of these days, we're all going to meet together and be resurrected. And then this holy city, after the millennial period, is going to come down to this new earth. But I'll just read this to you briefly. This holy city that he sees descending down as a bride adorned for her husband. Hebrews 12.22 says this, But you, born again people, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and there is an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And the crowning part is to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is the heavenly Jerusalem now that John is beginning to see. God takes him in the spirit up to a great and high mountain. And then he begins to see this beautiful grand city coming down. And man, it's so beautiful. Hallelujah. This holy city will be placed upon the new earth. God will make a new heaven and a new earth to be the setting of this holy city. New heavens and a new earth. I had this thought this week. Remember I told you as we closed last week, we were talking a little bit said, let's take time this week and look at God's creation and ponder and think about it. The fact that how great it is, but yet it's going to fade away and He's going to make something new and better. One of the things, right as we left last week and started up the road, it came to me and I told Michelle, I said, I had never thought of this. Because I had wondered, and it makes us wonder, if something so great as this earth and this heaven is, that God's going to have to destroy it, seems kind of wasteful. You don't under, really understand why. But the Lord began to show me something. If we would look at it through His eyes, we would see that this earth is tainted. We see that nearly everything, and this was the thought that came to me, nearly everything that God created in the beginning, man has at some point in time worshipped it. They've worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky, the sea, the land, the mountains, trees. They'll take wood and cut totem poles and images of people, birds and animals that's been created. And so I got to thinking from God's viewpoint, this earth has to run its course because it's tainted. It's been here for a long time. Blood has been spilled on this. Wars have been fought. All those things. So God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And I started seeing it from His viewpoint and I thought, wow, it's a wonder He hadn't done it already. He must be very patient. Amen. So we see that that's just something in my mind that... that one of the reasons God's going to crumble it up and throw it away and say you don't need that anymore is because there's, there's so much negativity involved in what God created originally because man's fall and because of sin. Verse 11, 
this grand holy city. It says in verse 11, it said, Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. I don't know about you. I can't comprehend a stone so clear that it's like crystal. They say a diamond, even in its purest form, is, is still not completely transparent. But here, this holy city is so beautiful, so pure, that it's like clear a clear stone. Hallelujah. God's glory, I want to... This note came to me this morning concerning this verse. God's true glory has only ever been seen by Jesus. But it says here that the glory of God was in this city. John was able to recognize just in the glimpse that he saw, the glory of God has illuminated this place. The glory of God has lit this place up. So the glory of God's only been seen by Jesus. <clears throat> now some have experienced glimpses, but only Jesus knows its full splendor. Think about this. Moses got a glimpse. Isaiah got a glimpse. Ezekiel got a glimpse. And here even John the Revelator. He's getting a glimpse of this new city of where God dwells. But nobody, none of them, even in their vision, could fully comprehend the, the glory of God. I guess the time that the glory of God was the, the strongest here on earth for human beings to witness was at the dedication of the temple. It says that when Solomon's temple was dedicated, the glory of God was so great that the ministers, the Levites, could not even go in there to minister that it was so thick that they just all had to leave out of there. But even that, we don't fully understand. But John sees this heavenly, holy city, heavenly Jerusalem, coming down, and it's so beautiful that the glory of God is in it. I want you to think about this. Most of us know someone, maybe we were there with them or we heard about it second-handed. But almost every one of us know of a story, know of a person who was on their deathbed and right before they passed, all of a sudden they perk up and they say, oh, what a beautiful place. Or, oh, I see this. Or, oh, I see something. And it's like God gives them a glimpse into heaven right immediately as they're getting ready to leave this world. Think about Stephen. He was being stoned to death and he looked into heaven and it was opened up to see him and he said, I see Jesus sitting on the right hand of the majesty of God. And then instantly, as he died, <laughs> he was there with him. Praise God. So I want you to think about just the fact that people we know, we have heard them testify, oh, what a beautiful place. I've never seen nothing like that. Because God brought them to His heavenly city. Hallelujah. Verses 12 and 13. And she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates. And names written on them which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. I want you to think of the significance of what he's seeing here. Now this is fulfillment of prophecy in Ezekiel 48. It tells in there that those guys' names were going to be on those gates. And it tells which one's names will be on which side. Okay, It's specifically spelled out there. Now John is seeing this and he's saying, look, I see this. 
And I see that there's three gates here, and there's three gates here, and there's three gates here. I see this in the wall. But the children of Israel, the children of Jacob, is going to have the names in the wall, in these gates. And to me, this further establishes that God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and nobody else. See, a lot of people are trying to say, well, no, God didn't choose them. We believe in creation. We believe in Noah's Ark. But when you get up there, when you start talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then everybody starts wanting to branch off and go their own way. But here, as God closes out the Scriptures, He's telling them right here, the holy, heavenly Jerusalem is going to forever bear the name of the children of Israel, the twelve sons. So it tells me that further establishes who He brought His covenant with, or who He made His covenant with. This is the one whom He would establish His covenant concerning the Messiah. So here we learn something very important. God makes a promise. He will keep it. He told Abraham, He told Isaac, and He told Jacob all the same thing. Your descendants will forever be remembered in My presence. Now we like to look at the natural side of it. We go look at those twelve sons of Jacob and we think, boy, those are some pretty rotten guys. But God made Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a promise. They will be the ones I established the covenant with. Hallelujah. Verse 14. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Surely we can't remember those guys that were faithless. Surely God wouldn't have their names remembered in heaven forever because we like to sit around and critique them, right? We like to critique all the mistakes they made. Here I learned a valuable lesson. I went back and listened to the to the podcast from three years ago and it was the same thing and the Lord reminded me that it needs to be said here today too. We need to be real careful who we, uh, who we critique and whom we cast judgment on. Because we could go and take the Scriptures and we could look at all 12 of those disciples, all 12 of the apostles, and we could see where they, oh, they, they messed up there, they messed up here, they should have had this, they shouldn't have done this. But in God's holy city, the heavenly Jerusalem, it says that there's 12 foundations. And on those 12 foundations, there's the name of the apostles of the Lamb. Hallelujah. You know we owe a great debt of gratitude to those apostles. They risked life and limb and everything in their, in their being to preach the gospel of a risen Savior. Think about how people would have scorned them in that day. Oh yeah, they the Romans crucified Jesus, but they couldn't keep him dead, and now he's alive forevermore. You imagine going around and telling people in that kind of a society that that's what had happened? They would have really thought you were crazy and thought you were nuts, wouldn't they? But they did it, and were the beneficiaries of it. Amen. Amen. So let us be careful whom we criticize, because on these twelve foundations is written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Verse 15, And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. Its length, its breadth, and height are equal. 
Now, those 12,000 furlongs equates roughly to about 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles. Now, there's differences in opinions of different uh, people. Some people believe that they mean 1,500 miles as the total perimeter all the way around. So, I don't believe that. I believe that it's 1,500 miles down that side, and I believe it's 1,500 miles down that side, 1,500 miles coming back toward this way, and then back to point A, another 1,500 miles. And then it says its length and its breadth and its height are all the same. Hallelujah. A cube that big, I was looking it up, would almost totally encompass the United States. It would almost cover every inch of the United States. There would be very little on each side sticking out. One of the reasons that I believe that it's 1,500 miles one way, this way, then down that way and all that is because it says that they're all equal, 1,500 miles. And every other place I've done, not a complete research this week, but just a glance at the scriptures I know that talk about it, Anytime God is talking about something He's going to make or have somebody make, He tells them, I want the length to be this, I want the breadth to be this, and I want the height to be this. If there's ever a measurement He made that was a perimeter, He would spell it out specifically like in Ezekiel 48 and say, the entire distance around it was this. But I want you to think about it. I looked it up on a map this week, and it's not totally accurate, but if you just put in Princeton, West Virginia... And Denver, Colorado, it's 1,400 and some miles. That'd be down one side of this heavenly city. How long would it take to get in a car and just drive out there? This is a big city on a grand scale of God's holy city. I can't even imagine something that big being a city. And then 1,500 miles up. Can you imagine? Somebody said last week, I believe it was Miss Barton, said she always thought that one of the reasons the new earth didn't have a sea was because it had to be a lot more room for all the people that's going to be there. And I like that. Because there is going to be a lot of people in heaven. Amen. We sometimes talk about the ones who don't make it and that there's going to be more not make it than do. But at the beginning of this book of Revelation, he said, I saw a number no man can number praising God in the Lamb in heaven. There's going to be a lot of people there. we got a lot of brethren it's going to be gathered in this big city. Amen? Praise God. Like I said, some people believe it's the other measure, but I don't believe that. And uh, Noah's Ark, I'll give you a couple examples. Noah's Ark, when they made the ta- uh, furniture for the tabernacle, and all the temple measurements, when it's in Scripture, it's listed. It was this long, it was this wide, and it was this high. And so you have an idea of what it was. And so I believe that's what he's describing here. It's four square, but it's 1,500 miles that way, that way, that way, and then back again. Think about that. I've never lived in a city. Has anybody here lived in a city? I think Brother Charlie, he lived in Cleveland. That's a pretty good-sized city. But nothing like this, is it? Amen. I've visited, I guess, maybe, I guess Charlotte, North Carolina, is the biggest city I've ever been in in my life. And it's nowhere near this big. And the building is nowhere near this tall. This is a grand place that you're rewarded for serving Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Verse 17. Then he measured its wall 
144 cubits according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel, meaning this angel he was speaking with looked much like a man would look. And the construction of his wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. So the wall surrounding the holy city, that roughly translates, now depending on what size of a, an angel he was talking with, might have been a bigger angel, might have been a smaller, we don't, we don't know compared to us, but the general consensus of a cubit, when the Bible talks about a cubit, is from the elbow to the end of the middle finger, and that's on the average person around 18 inches. And when you do all the math out, it comes out around somewhere around 250 feet. Now, some people, they, they talk about and they say, well, now, does that mean 250 feet high or 250 feet thick? I believe it means both. Because it didn't specify either way. One way or another, it's a big wall. Praise God. But you imagine a city that's 1,500 miles high and you only got a wall this high. I don't believe that. I believe the wall is going to be an attention getter as well. And so you think about 250 feet high, Anybody can you look up there at that? Wow. That's beautiful, isn't it? A lot of places in the Scripture, one of the things in the ancient world and even in the Scripture a lot of times when it talked about a city and how great it was, they did talk about the width of the wall, how wide it was. And they said the wider the wall was, the better defended it was. It was harder to break through it. And then in some places it talks about high. But back in verse, I believe it's in, uh, was it verse 2 or 3? Uh, it says, verse 12, I'm sorry. I knew there was a 2 in it. Verse 12 it says, also she had a great and high wall. And so I, I believe that the 250 or the 144 cubits, which is 250 feet, I believe he's talking about the height of it. But irregardless, whether he's talking about the height or the width, it's a big wall and it's beautiful. Amen. And it's adorned. We're getting ready to find out what it's adorned with. <clears throat> so verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was Jasper, the second Sapphire, <clears throat> the third Challenge Sindoni, the fourth Emerald, the fifth Sardinx, the sixth Sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Why would he describe these things? What, what are the most highly sought after things on earth? Precious stones, diamonds, all of these things, pearls, all of these kinds of things. And they talk about <clears throat> when you find one, you just find a little one, right? Man, it's really valuable. Now I want you to think about this. A wall that encompasses this city 1,500 feet, 500 miles, another 1,500 miles, all the way around, 250 foot high, and all along this surface is adorned precious stones on this foundation. I think the idea here that he wanted John to see was the value and the wealth of this city. Earth, Nothing on earth could even compare. There's not enough precious stones on the earth to adorn a foundation that big. Think about that. 
<clears throat> so the foundations of the wall are decorated by precious stones. The idea is to communicate the grand expense of just the decorations of the wall. Just what you decorate it with. See, let's take a look. We got a wall in the back. That's one wall of this sanctuary. Got a couple pictures up. Those are ornaments. <clears throat> Those are what we adorn the wall with. Now imagine a wall 1,500 miles times four. How many of these precious stones would be all over that thing making it glisten? Hallelujah. I can't imagine it. And it would take more precious stones to decorate this than even exist on earth. Take a look at verse 21. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I don't know if you've got an image in your head of that, but I can't wrap my mind around that exactly. I know what he's saying, but I don't get it. I want you to think about this. The twelve gates in the wall are made of twelve individual pearls of massive size. Think about this. How big are the gates in a wall that's 250 foot high? How big of a gate would be proportionate to something that big? And one pearl was used to make one gate. And there's twelve gates. God spares no expense. We don't think nothing about our doorways much, do we? Just the door we go in and out. God said, I'm going to make my doorway a pearl. Hallelujah. Not pieces of pearl. Not a piece of wood adorned with pearls, but of pearl. Can you imagine that? That's awesome. Once again, so how expensive would one pearl that big cost? That boggles the mind, doesn't it? Something else that I noticed here, and I meant to mention back in verse 18 also. Look at the end of verse 18. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. Then again here, as he closes verse 21, the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. He keeps seeing that, doesn't he? This pure gold... That's see-through. I don't know about that. <laughs> when you see gold, you think you should be seeing like a yellowish kind of a something. And they claim the more pure it is, the, the lighter it is. And if it's really dark, it has some impurities in it. But the lighter it is, the more valuable it is, and the more pure it is. But this gold... In this city, it says the whole city's made of gold. Now it says that the street is made of gold. And it's so pure you can see through it. And I've always had the thought of this. That boggles my mind, but I've always had this thought. We give no thought much to the sidewalks and our asphalt out on the roadways, right? But we know even those are expensive just here on this earth. But God chooses to pave the streets of the holy city with gold. 
The place where people's going to walk from one place to another is pure gold, so pure that you can see through it. The place where your feet trod. <laughs> that amazes me. I don't know about you, but I can't hardly wrap my mind around that. How much gold would it take to pave streets in a city that big? 1,500 miles. That's just one side. Hallelujah. And people start to say, well, you know, I don't think God would make it that big. Have you looked in space? We talked last week, a few of us, when church was had ended. Scientists, they keep thinking that they're going to find the end of space. And they think if they can find the end of space, they'll find the beginning of what, was, what, what we see now, what, what is actually physical stuff. But the farther they go, then they realize it goes that much farther again. And they've sent their machines light years and light years away and it's taking pictures of just this grand splendor of outer space. So, when we think about God's holy city, I don't think it's a real small place. I think it's a big, beautiful, expensive place because He bears no expense in the beauty that He wants His children to share in. Amen? Amen. Verse 22. This is my favorite part of the passage. <clears throat> I want to see these things. I want to see that city that big. It is just as long as it is wide and it is tall. I want to see those 12 foundations with the names of the apostles on them. I want to see those gates of pearl with the names of the children of Israel on them. But most of all, I want to see the one that rescued me. I want to see the one that saved me out of my sin. Hallelujah. And that's what we see next. Verse 22. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Hallelujah. I like to think of it this way. John seems marveled because there's no temple in the New Jerusalem. Notice how he words it. But I saw no temple. So that tells me he was looking for one. This is John who in 70 AD saw the words of Jesus come true. The earthly Jerusalem destroyed and the earthly temple destroyed. Now he sees this new heaven, a new earth, and a new city. And so only natural in his next thought process is, oh, if this is that great, where's the temple? But it says that God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of this great city. Hallelujah. Altogether different than our thought process, isn't it? Hallelujah. In this, in his mind, no doubt the temple would have been the greatest spectacle of this new city, but now he fully realizes no, it's God Almighty and the Lamb is the grandest thing here because the temple would take away from their grandness. Hallelujah. Remember what he said back in verse 2 or 3 of this passage last week. The tabernacle of God is with men. And He shall dwell with them and be their God. And He'll wipe away all tears from their eyes. And He'll be with them there forever. Hallelujah. So here we learn that God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of the holy city. We don't need a place when we go to the heavenly Jerusalem. We don't need a place to convene with God. We don't need a separate place 
within the city to go and say, okay, I want to meet with God like He's hiding behind the curtain anymore. But He's right out in the streets with us, walking along His streets of gold, looking at His gates of pearl, and sharing the splendor of His beautiful city with all His children. Isn't that a wonderful place? Hallelujah. So we don't need to go and convene with God in this city in a separate place because He and the Lamb are dwelling with us. To me, the entire city is the temple because God's there. Amen. We don't have to go find the temple. It's like there is the God and there is the Lamb. That's where we need to be. Amen. Verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The first mind-blowing thing was the city itself. How big it was. And how grand it was. The second thing was the streets of gold and all of that kind of thing. Now thirdly, he's seen there's no temple in this grand city. Now he sees another marvel. This tells me that as he's seeing this vision, no doubt in his mind is racing. Okay, okay, so there's no more temple. Okay, what about the sun and the moon? Because those are essential to life here on this earth, right? All of a sudden he realizes there's no sun, there's no moon. And in a minute he's going to be revealed to him. There's not even nighttime there. Because God's glory illuminates it permanently. Hallelujah. That glory that came down into the earthly temple when Solomon dedicated it, it doesn't fade away. It will illuminate this new city forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. So the sun and moon are no more. The holy city is illuminated by God with the Lamb being its light. Isaiah and Ezekiel both spoke of this. They said, There will be no more need of the sun and the moon. The moon shall not go down anymore on you and give you darkness. Because God is light. Think about that verse now. God is light and in Him is no shadow of turning. Now it makes sense. We realize, oh wow, God illuminates heavenly Jerusalem forever. There's no night there. Hallelujah. And in the last three verses, before we close. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. <clears throat> and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. And there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's me and you. That's those of us who've confessed our sins and received Jesus as our Savior. Just a note on that as we get ready to close. All the inhabitants of the new earth will gladly honor God and the Lamb because the only people that will be there are saved people. Don't have to worry about the heathen wanting to do things their own way. Amen? 
And these people that live in this city and in this new heaven and under this new heaven in the new earth, they will honor God in the land because they love Him. <clears throat> we come to His house now and we pray to Him and we read His Word because we love Him. And it's interesting that I see here that they won't have to close the city gates at night because there is no night, because there's nobody wicked to keep out, and there is no darkness. That's why we lock our doors at night, right? At our house. We're afraid to thieve because thieves like to break in in the dark when they can't see, be seen as well. So think about this. In verse 25, <coughs> it says, Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. No need to close the gates because there's no nighttime in the holy city. There aren't any wicked people to keep out, so the gates remain open continually. What does people say when they talk about when they live way out in the country and they don't have anybody bother them? One of the things that they brag about, have you ever noticed? I sleep with my, I don't lock my doors. I sleep with my windows open and doors unlocked because I don't have to worry about anybody. That's what heaven's going to be like. They don't have to close those big gates of pearl because there's nobody to keep out. There's only saved people there. People whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. People who are all like us, like-minded, who love Jesus. I don't try to put you down to get ahead. I don't try to squash you to make myself look better. We all love Jesus the same. And we love each other. Amen? That's the kind of people that's going to be there. So in closing, let me say this. The gates of the New Jerusalem are never going to be closed but the gate of salvation here on earth while we're alive in human, human form. That door will shut one day. Either the Lord's going to come and take the church away or He's going to come and bring us home individually through death. But the opportunity <coughs> to receive Jesus as our Savior, that will close here on earth. That door's going to be shut one day. And when it's shut, it's shut. So if we want to go live in this place, or they never shut the gates. You can go in and out. There's no nighttime. There's nothing to worry about. There's no thief. There's no wickedness. There's no evil. If we want to live in this place, we have to make a commitment here to accept Jesus and to follow Him. I believe everybody here has done that, but somebody may hear this today, or you may have a friend this week. It might come up to you and say, tell me a little bit about church. What do I, why do I need to go to church? And say, oh, because there's a heavenly city we're going to live in and you can only get there and you can only live there if your name's in the book of life. The Lamb's book of life. Amen. <clears throat> if we haven't accepted Jesus by the time the Lord takes the church home or when we die, the Bible says that we're doomed. We have to do that now. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. So accept Jesus now while you can. And you'll be able to live with the rest of us in a city that's gates never close. Amen? So in closing, I just want to say this. I'm glad to know Jesus has made me a place in the holy city, heavenly Jerusalem. Remember what He said? I go away to prepare you a place. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. 
But I'm going there to prepare you a place. In this grand city with all these decorations and gold and golden streets and pearls and expensive stones in the foundation. Somewhere in that city is a room that's got your name on it. And guess what? It's plenty big for the all of us. Amen? There's plenty room for all of us and our families. Amen? I want to see every one of you there someday. I do. When we all get to heaven, I want to see each and every one of you there. Amen? In this holy city, dwelling with the Lamb who gave His life for us. Amen? So today, let's rejoice that we have a home prepared in heavenly Jerusalem. And may we ever rejoice and always look forward to living in this place where God and the Lamb dwell with their people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to You today, Lord, in Jesus' name. We have read Your words about the new city. We titled our lesson today, A New City. And Lord, we see its splendor. Lord, we can't comprehend it. And on so many levels, it's beyond our comprehension. But what we do see and what we do comprehend is this is a great and awesome place that You've made. And Your Word promises that You've made us a place because of Jesus. That Jesus Himself has prepared us a place there. And Lord, above all the, the, the furnishings and above all the decorations, we see, Lord, that there's no temple because God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of this grand city. There's no need of the sun or the moon because God illuminates it forever and ever. And there is no nighttime there because the Lamb is its light. Lord, we look forward to that day. We know, Lord, we have much work left here to do for Your kingdom while we're here on earth. But one of these days, You will call us home. <clears throat> and one of these days, when this grand city is placed here on this new heaven and new earth, we will dwell there with You forever. You will be our God and we shall be Your people. You will wipe away every tear from our eyes and You will take away all the pain and suffering for the former things will have passed away. Until that day, Lord, we look forward to Your coming. We look forward to living in this grand city. Help us now, Lord, as we still struggle along here in this earth under this old heaven. Help us, Lord, as we struggle along to do what we're supposed to do and to try to help as many others as we can to come with us, to take this journey of walking with Christ so that we may all be together in heaven someday in this grand city you have created. We pray all these things today in the name of Jesus. Be with each and every one until the next time we can meet. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.